You are listening to KZYX 90.7 FM Philo, KZYZ 91.5 FM Willits and Ukiah, 88.1 FM Fort Bragg. Altogether, we make up Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, member-supported community radio. We also stream live on the web at kzyx.org. Support for KZYX comes from our members and the Good Farm Fund, a community organization providing direct support to small farmers with the aim to increase local food security in Mendocino County. For more information, go to goodfarm.org or look for Good Farm Fund on Instagram and Facebook. Mind if I sit down? Everything you pray for, everything you play for me. Hi, and welcome to Be More Now. My name is Blake Moore, and tonight I'm going to be interviewing the bi-coastal New York City, Berkeley jazz performance poet and longtime town crier, Raymond Nat Turner. We're going to be talking about the placement of poetry in community, finding one's voice and fearless expression, plus a number of Raymond's very well-crafted and hard-hitting poems sprinkled among it all. And to back up that last statement, here's Raymond Nat Turner and Upsurge New York City doing the hyphen between African and American is Wyoming wide. between African and American is Wyoming wide, wishing well steep, Himalaya high, and Grand Canyon deep. Long as rambling roads, plantation to ghetto. Long as barcodes on brown flesh. Long as 40 acres and a mule been in the mail. Long as Confederate flags fluttering over southern cities today. The hyphen between African and American is Wyoming wide, wishing well steep, Himalaya high, and Grand Canyon deep. Long as Plantation to ghetto. Long as 56 licks last on Los Angeles streets. Long as list of white jurors trying black men accused. Long as sentences to San Quentin and Angola fused. Long as the serpentine comma between no justice, no peace. Long as the exclamation point behind hug the police. The hyphen between African and American is Wyoming wide. Wishing well, Steve. Himalaya high. 
long as Spike and the Statue of Liberty's crown, long as the Liberty Bells crack, long as watch hands waltzing in circles, long as promissory notes held one hundred and thirty five years. Yes, indeed. Raymond Nat Turner, an upsurge New York City doing the hyphen between African and American is Wyoming wide. So before I bring Raymond up, I want to tell you a little bit about him. The town crier, Raymond Nat Turner, is a New York City poet privileged to have read at the Harriet Tubman Centennial Symposium. He is artistic director of the stalwart jazz poetry ensemble Upsurge NYC. And he's appeared at numerous festivals and venues, including the Monterey Jazz Festival and Panafest in Ghana, West Africa. He currently is poet-in-residence at Black Agenda Report and former co-chair of the New York chapter of the National Writers Union. Turner is open for such people as James Baldwin, People's Advocate Cynthia, sports writer David Zirin, and California Congresswoman Barbara Lee, following her lone vote against attacking Afghanistan. Up next is a conversation we had earlier this week. Oh, it's just such a pleasure to be speaking with you. And I, I wanted to start with just a bit about you, who you are, and how poetry expresses itself in your life, and what you're doing with poetry. Well, is you want me to try and tackle that? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, let's see if you do that. Do you, do you have uh, four days? to have this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, let me try and um, just, you know, lay some foundation. Um, I guess, you know, coming into the world, um, my, my mom um, read a lot of um, fairy tales, nursery rhymes to me, and also sung lullabies, you know, and that was the only way she could kind of Call me down as a very small child, you know. I was always kind of something was going on, you know. Just, uh, um, just what he, uh, just uh, you know, tense, wired up, or whatever you want to say. And so that was the way she. And so I really took to it, um, and you know, having all the nursery rhymes and the lullabies and the um, fairy tales. Um, I guess one's imagination tends to <laughs> develop in some ways and and a love of language and that. And then also, um, I think one lesson that I learned very early on is that yeah, you're, you have to be responsible for your language. You know, it can get you in serious trouble. I knew I learned that lesson very early on. I was a, a preschooler, and we were in Compton, California at that time, and my, my dad had worked on the school that I was to go to, the elementary school called El Segundo, and then he had also worked on uh, the high school, which was right across the canal, 
that was Centennial High, but I ended we ended up moving to Los Angeles. But um, as a preschooler, I used to sit out on the corner. These are the days where your children could roam away from the house. And so, you know, it's probably like we were like maybe three doors down from the corner. I'd sit on the corner and sit out in the sun and ponder the world, <laughs> my little limited version of the world. And I relate to and, that. Uh, <laughs> and then um, one day I heard someone saying this rhyme out in the street, and I picked it up and brought it home. And my mom was not too fond of it, and uh, she gave me a little um, spanking, let's say, you know. And uh, it wasn't, you know, when I think on it, think back on it, it wasn't that bad, I mean, compared to what she would later hear. And I just bless her for sticking with me during those latter years. But it was something like uh, something of – uh, jackass, rubble, ten times double. <laughs> That's all it was. I, I have to this day. I have no clue what it means. Yeah. You know. I was but, just thinking. Uh, I'm not sure if I understand either. Bad <laughs> <laughs> jackass, rubble, ten times double, and that's that's what it was. And I I was so enthralled by the rhyme, and I brought it home. I was just saying that I you know just walking around saying it, and my mom. <laughs> She uh, checked that. And so that was one of my first encounters with, you know, this price to pay with language. And um, then um, we moved to Los Angeles and Los Angeles proper out of Compton. And um, I went to an elementary school in South Los Angeles uh, called uh, 79th street school at that time and uh it was it was so funny uh we were on 81st the school was on 79th so it's roughly two blocks uh two streets over and uh it was like every monday i would be late you know and i guess there were things going on in the house that um made that so uh, and then, as I think about it, maybe there was some intention there on my part. I don't know, but on Mondays, it was a school assembly, and uh, I would, you know how people are sneaking out of places and breaking out of places. I was sneaking in. It was sort of like I'd have to climb this um, um, rail and shimmy over and then uh, hide behind a door or something because they had hall monitors and I'd have to avoid them and then get down on the playground where the assembly was and get in line, you know, sort of sneak into my class. <laughs> so it was just kind of like a routine. And um, it was so funny because I, uh, at that stage even, I was kind of aware of this kind of colonial setup. You know, you had all these little brown faces, brown and cocoa and chocolate faces. And then you had this statuesque, 
European American woman with this white hair and this big corsage on <laughs> and she was Good morning, boys and girls and then everyone would say and sing songs. Good morning, Mrs. Ruth and and there was just like, Oh my God, I I never said it. I just you know, something I don't know what was going on for me, but I just couldn't get with it. And um no, I wasn't feeling it at all. Even then, we're talking like uh, third, no, uh, particularly fourth grade. That was when I, it really hit me. Um, and then that was when I got in some big trouble at school. You know, we used to have this thing going. Uh, some boys would, um, you know, gather and talk about each other's mothers. Oh my God, it's so crazy, so depraved. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, there was this kid that had come into town, and he was. We were in the fourth grade, and um, his all I knew, and he called himself Hobo Joe. <laughs> that's that's all I knew of him. And so one day we were on the playground, and we were going at it. And, um, you know, a crowd had gathered around us, and, oh, my God, we were going at it. And and these things are pretty profane, you know, pretty vulgar. And I don't I don't know if you are dealing not, with not radio, Not radio sound. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, anyway, we were talking about, you know, uh, you know, there were, there, there were like these standards, if you will, and, so, uh, you know, we knew the standards and we went through them and it, this was during a recess and it was, you know, it would always go like, you know, F your mom on, on top of a house, baby came out like Mickey Mouse or something like that or uh, F your mom in a black sedan, the baby came out like Superman, all this crazy, you know, BS. And, you know, I mean, I can't. And uh, so we were just, you know, just just really locked in, sort of like a jam session, two saxophonists just trading fours and just tearing it up. And, uh, you know, every time we would do one, you know, so like people, the boys, everybody who was gathered around us would be going, ooh, ooh. And uh, so finally the bell rang. It was they called it the freeze bell. And when that bell rang, you were supposed to, whatever you were doing, uh, just freeze in that position, in that uh, activity. And so he had said something and everybody had, woo, and then the bell rang. And so then, uh, you know, when the, when the next bell rang, uh, that was when we could go. And so everyone was waiting for my comeback, you know. And so I just kind of went off the top of my head and uh, said something about, you know, after mom in a telephone booth, the baby came out like Mrs. Ruth. And everybody just erupted, you know, and woo, woo. And then so, you know, he and I went back to our fourth grade class. And so I was feeling... Uh, you know, pretty triumphant, you know. And um, 
all of a sudden, here comes this teacher from the fifth grade, Mr. Baptiste, he comes in the class, and he's whispering to my fourth grade teacher, Miss Jackson, and, and he's looking, and then um, he comes over and gets the two of us, <laughs> Hobo Joe and myself, and he's taking us to his classroom. I'm kind of like, uh-oh, what's up with this? And, you know, he takes us into his fifth grade class. And, um, you know, we're fourth graders. And, and when you're in the third, fourth, fifth grade, those little grades, they make a big difference then. And so, you know, so he brings us into the coat room. And, um, and, and the fifth graders are kind of, you know, pretending like they're reading, but they're kind of, you know, you know, like with those little devilish smiles, or like they know we're going to get paddled. And um, so he did, and he was just such a, uh, oh my God, he was, you know, it was that was when I, I didn't know have the language of this colonial stuff that I'm talking about. I right. didn't have the language back then. And nor did I have the language for Uncle Tom at that time, but that I had the spirit of what it meant, and that was what I experienced. And he was just so, oh man, just enraged, you know, at us, you know. And um, but anyway, um, we came out, and you know, we came out, and we weren't crying or anything. And fifth graders, they were kind of like you know, looking away, like, you know, they, they were kind of laughing, but they couldn't laugh out loud. But by the same token, what happened is, like, uh, word got around school, you know, you know, because you had the sixth grade was the highest grade there, fifth grade, six, uh, six, five, four, and then down. And so word got around school, hey, this and this little fourth grader is crazy, you know. Who is this, who is this dude, you know? Yeah, kind of got a little rep, you know, then, you know. So, but, you know, it was, again, the lesson of the paying the price for the words, you know. It reminds me of the rap battle. You can say it better than the other, and rather than using fist, you're using your language. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you'd, you'd think and, that the administrators would have – commended you for being so clever rather than doing what most young boys would do at that age would be throwing each other down and hitting and you know way more dangerous than words but words are pretty dangerous yeah, they're pretty dangerous you know they're pretty damn dangerous you know and uh you know and then of course to uh be speaking about authority like that that was that was really the the kicker you know the no-no and and so I got it right away. Even though I was a fourth grader, the message, you know, really uh, came loud and clear to me. And it would be later, you know, going, you know, fast forwarding, uh, seeing how things really get serious when you start talking about uh, the Phil Oaks and what's my Chilean uh, Victor Harris and you know the the price is up. You know they up yeah. the ante, uh, 
and uh, the Robesons and so forth. And uh, so, uh, you know, and I, you know, I always bore that in mind. You know, I never uh, ran from that reality. You know, so it's always it's always there. Uh, and and this country is funny because, um, like in Spain, uh, uh, European countries, and oh, Russia, they take Russia for example. Um, the poets, you know, they take them very seriously. Yeah, here they 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 kind of more or less marginalize you. You know, that's you know you're kind of oh, beyond the pale. You're kind of uh, oh god. No, that's the point. Yeah, well, do you remember when poetry had a, a moment in the sun when there was a bunch of Hollywood actors who were all reciting famous poetry? And there was, I remember mostly because on some level there was so much expected of me. You know, I was supposed uh-huh. to really become something. And were you, becoming were, a poet were you does not count. <laughs> oh, how wrong. You know what I mean? So there was that moment when Hollywood was all agog over poetry, and my mom was very excited. She'd send me posts and things and different <laughs> things about, look, look, it's people like you. <laughs> You've been doing that for all along. And then all of a sudden it becomes in vogue. Yeah. Yeah, but and it didn't really last very long because I think I think that's one of the challenges of being a poet. Not everybody wants to, to to delve in those realms. There's a lot of detail. My most recent poem is called A Lot of Hate to Love. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, when you're diving in like that, people are just, no, I want to watch something. I want to watch some TV show that makes me right. feel good. This doesn't make me feel good. I don't want there's But I'm like, if you stick to the end, it will make you feel good. <laughs> because there's something so potent about expression and bringing to light what is there but may not be discussed. I just want to take a brief moment to let you know that you're listening to Be More Now. I'm your host, Blake Moore, and I'm speaking with... Raymond Nat Turner, New York City jazz and activist and just amazing human being, poet person. <laughs> yeah, and um, for for me, I, I just have a, uh, a real huge, enormous problem with people feeling like they have the need or the right even to feel good. You know, I mean, when I, I had a fourth grade student, uh, I, I had a real great gig over in Berkeley at a elementary school um, back before I came here, about 2010, I believe. And uh, I had a fourth grade student from um, Yemen. And uh, when I started working with her, she was reading at about 1.4. And when we finished, you know, she was up to grade but she was, and her personality changed. She was very dynamic when she, and she was Muslim too, and she had the whole hijab and everything. And we became really close. And I, I just remember my eyes welling up when she read the word chlorophyll, and you know, and she was on her way. And um, yeah, it was just, you know, it's just this thing where she comes from a country that been bombed and being bombed currently as we speak, you know, yeah. and, yeah. you know, they are, or if you look at Afghanistan and uh, Iran and Iraq, uh, you know, just 
you know, what are they feeling good about? What are yeah. or Ukraine today, you know, and the Palestinians. Don't mention the Palestinians. And so for people to have a little discomfort of reading your poem, you know, <laughs> I would go back to that F word that I used uh, <laughs> in the fourth grade, you know, in a sense. That's my that's my visceral reaction to it, you know, because I mean, it's just a, um, a wee bit of discomfort. You have to, Blake is asking you for to take, you know, all the five plus minutes to read a poem yeah. and uh, go there with her for five plus minutes. And then, you know, then you're free to walk away. You're free to yeah. go to, um, you know, uh, Mickey D's or uh, 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 Green's or, Shape uh, knees or wherever you want to go. Yeah, wherever you wherever you think, right? Yeah. <laughs> I would like for you to read us a poem because I think that's one of the things about your poetry too is that your willingness to play with language and string things together, and it really is, uh, and it's it's an experience that because you play with music, you're upsurge NYC now. You've been back and forth between the Bay Area and New York, and now you're more permanently in New York, but that's your jazz ensemble that I have seen, and it's amazing. And you don't shy away from the difficult subjects. And and you don't, and yet you're not relegated to a tiny basement cafe where you have an audience of 10. You have a big following and and an audience, and you do a lot of radio and different things. So I'd just be curious. You know, the last few years, censorship is really high. A lot of people are afraid to say what they think lest they be canceled or have somebody write them off forever. So a lot of people's expression has waned and become something that they only share in the safest circles. And then there you are out there doing it. So speak to that and share a poem. (laughs) I know, it's another poor dare. (laughs) I I love your questions, though, man. We gotta we gotta really set up some kind of uh, forum that just <laughs> solely on your questions, you know. Period, and maybe bring in some other uh, poets and artists. Well, you That's some, a good you idea. Great questions. Yeah, I I I totally agree with what what you're saying. Um, just the other day, I was laughing about the. Uh, Sunshine State, uh, supposedly the freest state and the state where wokeness goes to die. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, and what's going on is that, uh, like, as you say, the, the whole quote unquote canceling of people, but, uh, you know, academics, for example, that are not tenured and so forth, they run a risk of being uh, driven out of those institutions, you know, that's that's a real uh, phenomenon that is, is occurring. And at the same time, um, I think it's a, a question of the more you give in to uh, that direction, then the, the greater uh, its strength and uh, the greater it it's bluster becomes, and and then you have 
a real, uh, very difficult battle on your hand. If you, you know, if we, you know, fight it all along the way, you know, every way we can, well, then I think we're inevitably in a better position than if we uh, just give ground to it. Right. Yeah, by being willing to speak about it and, and risk somebody's derision, you keep that in the public forum. You keep it. And that's what I've said to people over the last few years because I've said things that people don't agree with or don't like. But as time has gone forward, a lot of the things that I've said is kind of starting to come back around. And that feels, it feels good, even mm-hmm. though I feel that there are some people who still just won't talk to me or call me or are have literally canceled me, even though I never canceled anyone else. I didn't seek to judge others. I just sought to rule myself. And that was such an right. interesting twist, the way language has been used to hold us down in these ways. And my last guest on this show, we spoke a lot about language also, and I feel like it's the frontier of thought. And if you're not allowed to say things, then you're not allowed to think them either, right? Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, I I think I would say to you, as far as those individuals who have kind of uh, blown you off, you know, you might think of good riddance. Well, of course, but at the same time, I'm a bridger, and as a bridger, and I live in a small community, so my goal is to bring the community together because any division, you feel it in ways that you don't feel as much in a city, in a big place. Right. It, it, those, it's, those, it's, those feeling waves move through us very closely. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely correct on that. And um, having been to your yes. your place, I, I felt um, – just your command of the land. <laughs> you, yeah, you had a great command of the land there. You know, I mean, you know, it was clear that, you know, people had a lot of love for you and respect for you. And so that's something to be cherished, of course. Uh, you know, and at the same time, though, you know, there are just some people that are going to you know, pursue their course, and and that's the way I see it. Is so be it, and I, and while at the same time agreeing with you on the necessity to be a bridge builder and connect people, because we are ultimately connected anyway. You know, it's just uh, right. a matter of realizing it. You know, we're connected, like it or not. You know, <laughs> so it's just the reality. And and one of the things that occurs to me is that having been through three uh, major events, natural events, uh, one was the earthquake in uh, Los Angeles. I think it was 70-something, early 70s. Uh, and then fast-forwarding up here to up here, <laughs> out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to Loma Prieta, uh, 1989, and then uh, Superstorm Sandy here in New York. You know, you you see the best. I, you know, those events have brought the best out of people. I saw people pull together and help one another, and 
just rise to the occasion, uh, particularly during the Loma Prieta, uh, there, the uh, Cypress structure, the freeway over near uh, the, the interchange where the, um, uh, is that fed into the Bay Bridge, yeah. collapsed. And um, it was near projects, and the people in the projects got ladders and came out and were rescuing people from the freeway and people who were trapped in their cars, you know, the, the people who who survived, you know. And they were they were the real heroes and sheroes of the whole thing. And, and did they get their due? No, absolutely not. You know, most of them were African-American and uh, poor working class people. No, they didn't get their due. In fact, uh, a narrative was spun that they were, um, you know, robbing people or looting or whatever, you know, some nonsense and totally bogus, you know. So I saw that, and I saw that here during Superstorm Sandy because the remnants of uh, Occupy were still around, and they had uh, two churches in Brooklyn that they had commandeered kind of. One was uh, like a warehouse. They they had converted it into a warehouse because it had all kinds of supplies from cleaning supplies to uh, tools and et cetera, et cetera, because people had donated them. And the other one across the street was the kitchen, and they were pumping out huge pots of soup for people in uh, various parts of New York. And um, uh, FEMA was not yeah, <laughs> was right. not present and accounted for. So, so, well, that's so, the thing. So, you know, I mean, again, that goes back to the, the what we see is really what we're uh, shown. And mm-hmm. if you don't look deeper and you weren't there, you don't know someone who was there, then chances are you're going to believe the general narrative that you get. And I think right. that's what the last few years have done for a lot of people. We've started questioning our reality more than ever. And I think yeah. that is, it makes me hopeful that yes. as we learn to question our reality more, we start to reframe who we are and thus gives ourselves an opportunity to make some sweeping changes in the way we treat each other, we treat ourselves, the way we blindly follow what we're told to do, and I think that's exciting to me. I I see this as difficult as it is. The last few years have been so challenging, but it also gives me such a feeling. It's it's like when you talked about, you know, your student from Yemen, that what Mm -hmm. their daily experience is, a lot of people in this country we, you know, as a friend, used to always say we live on the supply side of empire. So in so many ways, we don't have to deal with any of that. It's just happening over right. there. And now we're starting to recognize, oh, it, it happens here too. And, you know, 9-11 was such an opportunity for, you know, that consciousness to, to, to infiltrate here of that lack of safety. But unfortunately, I feel so much of that was used to further, you know, corral us into smaller and smaller and little groups. I, I started talking back in the, in the late 80s about us being, it's a new feudalism, right? I was calling myself a late evil woman. I had a book called The Late Evil Woman in Paradise, and I was saying there is a renaissance happening. And I feel like that renaissance is, is happening still, 
but the voice to get it out, it you know, it's getting more and more. You got to find how you got you got to go down a lot of alleys to figure out where that voice is. <laughs> but then once you do, you're like, oh my god, it's everywhere. Right? Yes, I totally agree with you. I just want to take a moment and remind you that you're listening to Be More Now right here on KZYX. And I'm speaking with the poet Raymond Nat Turner, New York City poet, Berkeley poet, world poet. Would you read a poem? Sure. I'll I'll read a piece from this anthology that just came out. Um, It's called uh, Black Fire This Time, and it's an anthology that features a number of the icons from the black arts movement, as well as uh, other um, lesser known poets and writers. And um, um, I've been, um, we've we've been doing uh, a lot of um, readings in connection with the uh, uh, the publication of the anthology, and, and one of the the editor was uh, Dr. Kim McMillan, a woman who's I've known for years out in the Bay Area. Um, so the, I have a, two pieces in there, and the piece I'm going to read is called "Essential Work." <laughs> it, and um, what happened during the pandemic? The question of essential workers arose, and there was a lot of um, hullabaloo about who were essential workers and some tributing of workers with clanging of, on pots and pans in the evening and so forth. And so essential work. We'll always need race car drivers roaring down streets where children chase balls. Like we'll always need peaceful protesters pepper sprayed like cockroaches, and we'll always need sleeping seven-year-olds shot while dreaming of dolls, sleepovers, tooth fairies. We'll always need children playing with toy guns in parks executed before becoming Hulk Hogan's. We'll always need doors kicked in and our daughters and sons slaughtered in wee hours, even if it is the wrong address. We'll always need elderly parents whacked for accidentally pressing emergency alerts. Like we'll always need mentally ill loved ones massacred in our homes. We'll always need men rushing pregnant wives to hospitals shot for speeding and fathers of six hustling too hard, chokehold lynched. We'll always need young men, young women who drive and smoke stopped and suicided, and mothers wearing masks wrong wrestled down in subway stations as their four-year-olds watch. We'll always need wallets mistaken for guns, glocks for tasers, fleeing black men shot in their backs, and bridegrooms butchered before their wedding. We'll always need tasered hearts skanking in reggae rhythms and broken broomsticks rammed up men's rectums for fun. We'll always need bruised, bloody, disfigured faces, eyeballs dangling from sockets. We'll always need drugs and guns planted, growing into 
cases, concertina wire, COVID-19. We'll always need right hooves raised testaline to judges and juries of peers on the need for knees on necks. 56 licks are 41 shots served to protect property. Oh, see, there's a great example. I thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a um, that's a lot of a lot of truth spoken right there. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it's like um, <laughs> a chronicle of um, things that I've just I've lived through myself. You know, I mean, during my lifetime, you know, and um, and. Ironically, uh, I was reading a, a, a book called Proletarian Literature. It was an anthology and another one called Fighting Words that go back to the 30s. And um, <laughs> these the things we're talking about today were present then. It just, it just wasn't the technology to document them or record them for Austerity, like there is today. Yeah, right. Now it's 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 so interesting because we're so bombarded with information and we know so much. But then all the things are. My mom was such a great example of this. She said, "I don't know what to believe anymore." <laughs> I, I, and I said to her, "I, I said, gosh, that is such a great place to start." Mm-hmm percentages you know I've always been there's a, a form of yoga called yana yoga which is the yoga of questioning and I've always said my belief is I have no beliefs right that's what science is about science is about walking into a room and seeing if you can make that room bigger it's about inquiry it's about learning it's about debate and discussion and it's been such an interesting time to see how so many people just refuse to discuss it because they think that you're reflecting some fake news or fake information, it doesn't really matter if you're showing studies or peer-reviewed published articles. It really, people refuse to have that conversation. And I think that right now, most people, they can't imagine a kind of, I don't know, I hate the word evil, but that's the kind of, that's the word that comes up with, that as people said, I can't imagine if I if I let myself think about this stuff, what's the point of even being alive? Why even be here? And I think that's the, the, the wounded child in us who thought we were going to be protected and we put all our trust into our protector. And so we can't dare question our protector because our, re, our worldview will crumble. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, came with a different perspective in the sense that I saw my mom, you know, get up each day, um, optimistic, joyful, and go out and struggle, you know, just, you know, it was for her community. She would, she would go from being that to, you know, damn near kicking in a door to go into some big wig office and, you know, tell them, tell them how the policy was going to change (laughs) one way or the other, you know, one way or the other. And, 
so I I just always had the sense that things could change and 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 not only could they will and yeah. are changing before yeah. our very eyes. Yeah. Yeah. If 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 one is alert to it or aware of it or uh, allows himself to look and listen and feel, you know. It's not easy, you know. It's 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 you know there's some pain and suffering and I, you know I can't tell you the number, the amount of the volume of tears I shed uh, each week, you know, just hearing stories of uh, you know I mean just the ridiculousness of people and children, particularly being bombed to yeah. you know oblivion, you know. Uh, about what, you know, about what, you know, and so that, that's just, that's painful as hell, you know, because, um, you know, you think about it, I've, I've been to your neck of the woods, and I know there's some cute little eateries there, and, you know, you could probably roll in and, you know, anticipate getting this particular pastry or this particular beverage or whatever the case is. And, you know, people have that all over the world, more or less, you know, varying degrees of, uh, you know, technological advancement or whatever, but it that exists, you know, basically they have a, a life and a, an expectation of, being able to move through the day without this uh, horrific violence, you know. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Yeah. And and it, and it it troubles me when people can just make it an abstraction, you know, when they can just uh, talk about it as if you know, just you know, because I I think about it where if I'm in Oakland, you know, I'm I go to Lakeshore Avenue and there's. There's Mindy's Pizza. There's um, right. Pete's Coffee and a, a, a Lakeshore Natural Health Food Store and all this stuff. And I know the people in there, and um, you know, I go for the services and the products, but also to commune. You know, to uh, chop it up and kick it with those people. You know, and um, you know, that's it. Would be very disturbing to. You know, to see them, you know, just flatten. You know, just to see them rubble. You know, <laughs> right? And that, and that kind of that 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 happens out there in the world, and we're often, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just yeah. we just it's somewhere like you said, it's somewhere else. And yeah, somewhere. And yeah, and and then and then even you know what happens too is uh, with. Uh, climate catastrophe just uh, hanging over our heads like the sword of Democles, you know, it's like, uh, you you know, it's like it's somewhere else until it's uh, Tennessee or until it's Missouri or until it's wildfires in Cali or, (laughs) you know, or um, uh, uh, was that Katrina in uh, New Orleans? Yeah. Yeah, New I think that that's one of the things that's equalizing, that's bringing some of the Mm -hmm. military policies and some of the ways that the quote-unquote first world has used and abused the countries that and the resources of the countries and the expendable human beings 
that yeah. in the West, because of what is happening with the earth, you know, the weather disasters that we've all been experiencing, it's really made people see that suffering in a way that yeah. they never have before. And yeah, it, it, it brings compassion to everyone. But I also find that those kinds of traumas, those kind of PTSDs, keeping everyone frozen because that then lives in your psyche forever. You know, you're waiting for that other shoe to drop or any of us who haven't experienced that go, well, it could happen to me any moment. So it's bringing that awareness closer and closer and closer. When a, a military plane flies overhead, I can't help but think about people in other countries where when that happens, it means something really bad is going to happen. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, it's so funny. Uh, we we had a big joke. You know, people that know me know that I, despite everything else, I am a big football fan. And, you know, <laughs> you know I have been ever since I was 10 years old. And, uh, but there's one thing that I just, despise about the football games now, you know, but uh, there's always, there are always these flyovers, you know, and, you know, all this maudlin sentimentality and just as you suggest uh, in other countries, those flyovers mean something very, very different. And here, you know, people are expected to cheer and, uh, tear up and <laughs> all this nonsense, you know. And that's the voice of Raymond Nat Turner, performance poet from New York City. And I'm Blake Moore. This is Be More Now. Do you want to read one more poem? Okay. I'll go to the second poem that's in the um, anthology. It's called This Capitalism, Baby. <laughs> Grave diggers feed hungry heart island trenches, plain pine boxes stacked three high. They rest side by side in solidarity. For now they share island real estate with AIDS and 1918 flu fallen. New York is not new to this Ask African Burial Ground Ancestors. It's capitalism, baby. 799 died today, tasered with temperatures of 103.5 and shortness of breath. A bus driver, track worker, and a couple of conductors I know on site and speak to came down with chills They've breathed welding manganese, steel dust, and diesel fumes decades for New Yorkers. Yet, they couldn't be tested. It's capitalism, baby. What if they whispered three little words, pleaded 12 times instead of 11, like Eric Garner as the long, white, tatted arm of the law crushed his windpipe. What if they pleaded, I can't breathe, 12 or even 13 times? 
would they've been tested, treated, and alive today? That's not MTA's concern. Bottom line, liabilities, lawsuits are capitalism, baby. Nurses slash garbage bags open, using them as PPE, personal protection equipment. Docs reuse gloves and masks, multiple patients in the world's richest country. It's capitalism, baby. Hand sanitizer was $15 a bottle yesterday, 50 today, if you can find it. Ventilators were 25000 yesterday, 45000 today, and climbing. It's capitalism, baby. If water is life, hand washing's a lifesaver. Unelected emergency management cut Detroit water off and poisoned Pennywise Flint's. Oh, please, it's capitalism, baby. San Francisco hotel rooms sit empty, the unhoused shelter in place below freeways, in overcrowded shelters, and on cold convention center floors. <laughs> oh, well, it's capitalism, baby. Parasites self-isolate on swanky yachts, toasting tax breaks, looting labor's fruit, sucking up shares, senators, congress members, and blood. Leeches storm the Hamptons, hoarding, greedily buying meat, frozen foods, filling extra McMansion freezers while working-class shoppers tussle over toilet tissue or stand their ground in long lines buying guns. It's capitalism, baby. Cars sob in food bank lines stamped insufficient funds a mile long while farmers plow perfect cabbage heads and green beans back into black soil. And the Ivory River swells from dairy farmers dumping millions of gallons of milk in manure pits and chicken processes smash 750,000 eggs a week for profit omelet obscene food fights. It's capitalism, baby. Return to normal? That Titanic sailed months ago. It does seem, however, that it left the shore capitalism's Grave diggers. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. I love your poetry. I love your mind. I love your willingness to throw it all into the blender and give it back to us. Some crazy smoothie. You're really good at that. <laughs> the blender. Raymond, Matt Turner, thank you so much for being willing to communicate with your voice so strong. And I'm glad you had those fourth grade encounters because we need you out there. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for what you do, all that you do. Oh, yes, indeed. That was Raymond Nat Turner, New York City jazz performance poet and longtime town crier. And he can be found in a few different places. He's often on Pacifica's KPFA on the talkies. I'm going to be doing another show with Raymond Nat Turner that just features mostly his poetry. And that's going to be on KGUA this Saturday night at 7 p.m. And I'll include that in my notes on bemoreu.net. That's the letter B. M-O-R-E-Y-O-U dot net. And I have all my shows archived there as well. I want to thank you all so much for listening. And I want to remind you to stay tuned. Up next, we're going to have the Treehouse with W. Dan. So some humor that we all appreciate. And I also wanted to let you know of some shows that are coming up. Tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. is Byline Mendocino. And that's going to be our local media roundtable featuring local reporters and a conversation about the week's headlines. And Alicia is going to be the host of that show. And this week, she's going to be talking with David Loy, the legal director for the First Amendment Coalition, about Mendocino County's new ordinance to charge by the hour for public records requests and what charging high fees for public documents means for transparency here and across the state. Byland Mendocino airs Friday, tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. right here on KZWX and Z. And then tomorrow evening at 7 p.m., the same time slot is Pride Nation 101. And that's Mendocino County's newest queer radio hour featuring LGBTQIA plus perspectives, opinions, music, and lives from Mendocino County and beyond. This week, hosts Roland, Corey Medina, and Chad Swimmer will play a melody of highlights and outtakes from the first nine months of the show, talking about queer on the coast, marriage equality, body image, church with the Obamas, and more. That's Pride Nation 101, and that's Friday, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. right here on KZYX. And I just wish you a beautiful evening. Love yourself. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And yeah, be grateful. We're all here in this thing called life together. Lots of love to you all.